And if any of our children call out hullabaloo as they run off, I, I might chase them down and ask them <laughs> what the heck is wrong with them. <laughs> Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Schindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. We are reading part one, chapters... We're on part two. Oh, I'm sorry. Part two, chapters one, two, and three, which is a part two is outdoor life for the children. One Chapter one is a growing time. Chapter two is sightseeing. Chapter three is picture painting. And don't let picture painting fool you. She's not actually talking about painting pictures. Well, sightseeing and Picture painting are both in quotations. Oh, it in is. The, in the title. That's funny. I didn't see that. So it's, I, I guess it's maybe like her wording for it. Yes. You know, this is, this is sightseeing and it doesn't necessarily mean what you might think it means. Sightseeing makes more sense than picture painting though. This is picture painting and you know, it's kind of picture painting, but not quite what you think. Yeah, <laughs> she does it a couple more. Mental imagery is more what I would say. She does it on Living Creatures, which will be next week. And then a few more as we go on. I don't know. I wonder if quotations were used differently in Victorian English. I don't know. years ago. I am not a scholar of Victorian English written language. Meals. Out of doors. People who live in the country know the value of fresh air very well. And their children live out of doors with intervals within for sleeping and eating. As to the latter, even country people do not make full use of their opportunities. On fine days when it is warm enough to sit out with oh, on fine days when it is warm enough to sit out with wraps, why should not tea and breakfast? Everything but a hot dinner be served out of doors. I totally read that wrong. I read it as. On fine days when it's warm enough to sit outside without wraps. Oh, no. She's I was like, about... oh, okay. I can do that. When you don't have to wear a heavy jacket, you can nope. go sit out. Nope. When it's warm enough there to sit out. There goes my bubble. John, with... why did you have to read that out loud? <laughs> when, you, when it's warm enough to sit out <laughs> with a wrap. When I first th- when I first read it, I was thinking she was talking about like wraps as in sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's that's an odd way of saying a a. a a roll or a wrapped sandwich. And then I was like, did they, did they do that then? I don't know. Again. Did they have tortillas? Right. Someone probably did, but I don't know if they did. But yeah, so when it's not quite cold and or when it's not quite, yeah, cold enough, when it's not quite cold enough that you need all of your heavy stuff, go outside. This is a quote that is widely uh, spread. Never be within doors when you can rightly be without. Reminds me of the other rule to live by. Never sit if you can, or never stand if you can sit, and never sit if you can lay down. I don't think those are going for the same thing. I don't think so either, but also sleep whenever you can. 
you know, those, those, what is those it? kind the, of rules. The one, number one rule is that there are no rules. Oh, no, the number one rule is you never talk about Fight Club. Oh, rule rule number one is don't talk about Fight Club. Rule number two is don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> never be with indoors <laughs> when you can rightly oh, be God. without. Fight Club, great movie. Very rated R. <clears throat> great movie, though. <laughs> Talking about just the joy of being outside and eating outside, and it it really does make a difference. It, it so does. That's one thing I do miss about being in Austin during the winter, is that you could go outside on a very regular basis. Now, it wasn't true in the summer. When, when there it was were blasted hot. Mosquitoes and hot. And, but even then, we had a tree in our backyard and grass. So I brought out a blanket pretty frequently and sat out with the kids. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. And the kids did go outside on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's true. You also kind of went to work. I wasn't around most days because, <laughs> yeah, work. So we did... For the last couple of years, we have had a picnic table, and I've been trying to get us outside more. It's just, it's a hassle to get everything and take it all outside. And then by the time I I get everything outside, you know, everyone's gone crazy. And so it's, it's a hassle, but it always seems to be worth it when I actually do make the effort. It does. And again, the, the, the joyous part, it it helps. Well, and the kids love eating outside. They do. They have so much fun with it. And I get to hear about it when I get home. That's a hi- that, that becomes a <laughs> highlight of their day. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They absolutely do. If something tells me it'll get easier as, as Isaac and Lily get older. Mm-hmm. That as we move away from needing booster seats for them and... And they're able to carry their own stuff. It, it will get easier. Storing up memories of a happy childhood. Yeah. Well, she goes She goes on here in the next section. She says, for dwellers in towns and suburbs. And I know that's us. She says, for the rest of us and the most of us who live in towns or the suburbs of towns, that is included in the larger question. How much time daily in the open air should our children have? And how is it possible to secure this for them? Perhaps a mother's first duty to her children is to secure for them a quiet growing time, a full six years of passive, receptive life, the the waking part of it spent, for the most part, out in the fresh air. So when we were having babies and newborns, we kind of joked about it, but one of your main jobs was to be the bouncer. Yeah. To to keep, when we were in the hospital with the twins, it was to keep the nurses away while we were sleeping. Yep. When it was any other time, it was when people come over, you are there to let them be there for a little bit and kick them right out the door. And hustle them out. And that's kind of what I see this as. The the mother's duty for the first six years is to, to be that bouncer. For the children? For the children to life. To the oh, okay. to the demands of life, it says the in this time of ex- extraordinary pressure, educational and social. So mm. starting education at three, four, yeah, starting classes, starting um, social groups, starting X, Y, and Z at 
and adding to their schedule and adding. And the mother's first duty is to be the bouncer. Yeah, that's true. And and to safeguard that that time and and stake it out as precious. Yeah, that is true. Which I mean, it's getting tricky because now I have people that are out of that six year mark. Yeah, we do. Where we do need to start adding those things in. School starts. Education as a a pursuit begins. Right. While I still have two year olds. Which who mean, need another four years of this quiet growing time. Which means now your role is split and you have to play the bouncer for the, the younger three and the educator or whatever word you want to use for the older two. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's a, a co-op I visited and it was it would have been really nice for Ian and Naomi. Yeah. And I, it was not appropriate for the younger three. And so I had to say no. I, I, if I have to be here for this, I cannot put my younger three through this. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I am not willing to do that. So that's, that's how I view that. Yeah. Well, she, she gets into younger children here in a little bit and I'm not quite sure when, but, but we do get there. So what do you do in this day? She says, you know, the judicious mother says the judicious judicious mother says, I send my child out an hour in the winter and two hours in the summer. She says, well, that's okay. But it's not enough. Not enough. You should first off, you don't send them if it's possible. Although they do need to be left alone, you should go with them. You should take them. Mm-hmm. I, I like I liked the change of wording there. Don't send them, take them. Mm-hmm. Because just that single word, it, it means it it indicates an action on the part of the parent. Because when you send them, the parent gets to stay. If you take them, that means you have to physically go outside with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it It's a subtle change, but it's a powerful one. And she she says four, five, or six hours a day. On every every tolerably fine day from April till October. Impossible. Yeah, they said it then too. <laughs> and then she she goes on. I venture to suggest not what's practicable, but what seems absolutely best for the children. So, I went to I went to a podcasting festival this weekend, and and. Honestly, we're recording a little bit late, so the editing on this episode might might not be what it what it what it should be. But as I was talking to people about the what we do and what we talk about, I had to say a couple times, you know, the the show that we do, we talk about the philosophy of what is best and the method that is best. And I know we talked about this several times during during our review of book one. But she's outlining or outlining the best scenario mm-hmm. with your children. Four, five, six hours is best. It's best to be outside as much as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And the thing that kept coming up is, well, what can what can we do as a family to take a step closer to what is best? Mm-hmm. If all you can do is one hour. Then, then make sure it's a full hour. 
And then over time, try and make it longer and do more and more. If you can do four hours, great. Try and do more. It's still, it's still the, the taking a step towards what is best, towards the ideal. Mm-hmm. And however you can move closer to that ideal is, is good and is better. And there have been, there are so many resources right now about how to do that, how to get outside. There's a project called A Thousand Hour, A Thousand Hours Outside, I think it is, where the goal is, you know, over the year, you have a thousand hours that you're outside. Wow. And um, a lot of research has been happening about people who don't get outside. You have The Last Child in the Woods. I was going to say, I know that you've guy. got- yeah, you you looked over at our bookshelf. I know we've got several books on our shelf right now that talk about that. And he coined the he coined what, the term. What's his name? You just grabbed the book. Uh, Richard Love, Louvre, Love, Richard L O U V, Love. In Last Child of the Woods, he coined the term nature deficit disorder, and and there's even you know stories about kids literally just falling out of their chairs. Because they don't have the spatial awareness and they just, you know, fall out of their chair in the classroom. Hmm. And they're going, why on earth are all of these seven-year-olds just randomly falling out of their chairs? Because they've not spent time outside. And so there are tons and tons of resources about how to and why we should get our kids outside. It just reminds me. We were, we were snowboarding. I was snowboarding with my brothers and during lunch I was standing on, I don't know, a a small thing. It was something like a, I don't know, it was the top of a wall. And, and, uh, I looked down at it and I was like, oh, this is, this is like a balance beam at a jungle gym for kids. Like this is a thing children play on and I'm just standing on it. (laughs) Like this is, this is kind of pathetic. And yet I watch my children and they try and stand on it and they get up on it and they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then they fall off. And he and I were standing on it being like, how? (laughs) How are they that bad at this? (laughs) They need practice. But that's the whole thing is they need practice learning how their bodies work and what balance is and where their center of gravity is and, and what is putting your arms out do and. How do you hold yourself up? And so if you never go out and do those things, if you don't climb on trees and jump off of things and run and fall and all of that, then you, you never learn. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder. I, I I knew some very clumsy and klutzy people in middle school and high school. And I wonder how much of that is was a part of not spending enough time outside. Well, I think in middle school and high school, you're also dealing with your body grew and you didn't know that it grew. That's also true. (laughs) Your brain hasn't caught up with that. That's true. But what if while you're growing, you know, maybe maybe during uh, pre your in your prepubescent years. Is that the right term? It sounds right. Prepuberty. I think it is right. Prepubescent. I feel like that's more of a animal term. But anyway, during your prepubescent years. We are animals. For some reason, all I can come up with is it that relates to insects. Anyway, <laughs> during your pre-puberty years, you spend a lot of time outside just because that's what kids do. But then you change and you grow and all of a sudden you're clumsy and klutzy. What if you then don't do physical things 
after you've grown and changed and and you don't know your center of gravity. Yeah. Like I played sports. I played basketball and soccer and baseball. I ran and jumped and dove and and all of those things. And so I got to learn how my body works continually through that process. But what about those people who have decided that they're not uh, athletic or they're not physical? And so then they go through puberty, their body changes, but all they do is stay inside sitting. They, they don't, they don't gain or earn that, that spatial awareness. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a time when a lot of girls drop out of sports. Yeah. Because they are awkward. And it's no fun being awkward and people laugh at you. Then I know that firsthand, but it's more damaging, I think, as a girl to be laughed at like that. Mm-hmm. Sports are important, <laughs> I guess. So so one of the things I wanted to, to pull, pull out also, um, there's a quote I have from Karen Glass, and she has written a couple of Charlotte Mason books. Um, she wrote No and Tell, which is a narration book, and it's really good. But this is a quote from a, a Facebook reply of hers. She says, Charlotte Mason's parenting advice does assume the middle class with a nanny, nurse, and cook. Do not hold yourself to that standard because you don't have that help. Take what you can use, but parenting advice from someone who has to raise children in the same circumstances as you might be much more helpful. Take what you can use from Charlotte Mason. There are principles to glean, but your implementation has to match your real life. So. It sounds just like what I was talking about, but a whole lot more eloquently put. As if someone actually put time into thinking about how those words came out of her mouth. So. It's a good thing I'm not a writer. You would have an editor, too. And it wouldn't be me. I would. (laughs) I would have another writer that I would pay to write. A ghostwriter? Yeah. I might be the editor. <laughs> <laughs> so just keep that in mind as we're we're talking about this outdoor stuff. Because I also have, you know, a house to clean and right. meals well, to cook and Because again, she's and... talking about ideals. And ideally, you have a cook and a nanny. Oh, that would be so nice. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we had a nanny? So... Side tangent, I'm going, I'm reading through Anne of Green Gables for maybe the second time. Definitely the first that I can remember. The first time as an adult, at least. Very, definitely as an adult. And I remember reading through the first maybe two as a kid and being like, I don't like this. What's the big deal? And I never picked it up again until recently. And there's always somebody. There's there's always someone just kind of there helping Hmm. and she's now has i think it's five kids that she's got now and she has this lady named susan that lives with them that's just the way it is wouldn't that be nice and reading little women they have hannah who just lives with them and just it's there's always somebody it makes me wonder if there's not a way that we could bring that back somehow in our society. As in, after your kids go, after your kids grow up and leave home, you who have been a 
mother and homemaker and educator for the last 20 years and have refined a lot of those skills and gotten good at them, if it would make sense for a woman in that position to go seek out another woman who's younger and offer your services to home make for them. To be my mother or your mother. To, to be, <laughs> yeah, to be. When they come for our babies being born, they just kind of are there. Oh, life is great with them around. And they, they blend in and become a part of the family. And there's an extra pair of hands. Mm-hmm. There's an extra pair of ears to listen. There's. Life life runs smoothly. It does. And it, it makes me wonder if there's not a way that we could implement that in some way. Because I know that's one of the things my mother ran into is she was, as as my younger brother graduated high school, is she had to find something to do with all of her time. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't that have been a great thing to do with her time is to go be a nanny for a young family. So if there's any ladies in the area. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. It it's the know. it's the whole it takes a village, the whole the the thought of, you know, extended generations living near each other, living in the same place for a while, yeah. getting to know your neighbors, being not as transient as it is. And 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 honestly, even with the way that we can communicate instantaneously with anyone around the globe, it negates the necessity, the apparent necessity to talk to your neighbors. To be physically close to To be to physically people. close to the person you're talking to. Yeah. And so if I'm maintaining multiple relationships with multiple people long distances away, that's enough bandwidth and I don't dig deep where I'm at. And and frankly, that's one of the things I'm excited about being here in Boise and finding a place for us to be and to put down roots and to grow. Yeah. And, and I'm I'm excited about that. It's to grow a, a, a physical community nearby us. And hopefully somewhere near where I can Take the children outside. I was about to say send the children outside. (laughs) That's a great segue. (laughs) So she she goes on. uh, Let's see. She's talking about what's absolutely best. Uh, She says a journey of 20 minutes by rail or omnibus and a luncheon basket will make a day in the country possible to most town dwellers. Or just jump in your car. Right. Car is an option. Although if you have rail... Or an omnibus, whatever that is, then feel free to omnibus out. (laughs) I didn't look it up, but I like the word omnibus. (laughs) So what do we do? There has to be some method or the mother will be taxed or the children will be bored. And that is very true. We (laughs) just get out there and I say, go. They're like, what do we do? What do we do? So first. It does help to just go to a playground and be like, go play on the playground. Now. Now Now that is. Because we've gone out and we've walked the playgrounds with them. Because we've taken that time to build into them. We're at the playground. Here's what you do. Yes, it has happened. I believe Don't look you. at me like that. No, I'm just thinking, I don't know if I've ever done that. And as you're saying that, I'm going, oh, that means you probably did that during all of those times that I'm 
you know, working um, and payrolling yes. this whole nonsense that we do. <laughs> <laughs> Bankrolling. That's what I was going to say. Yes. So keep them relatively happy. And food helps a lot with that in my experience. <laughs> they must be let alone to take in what they can without being constantly talked at. And and I've and you can see that, you know, if, if the child's, you know, taking a toddler walk and the adult is just having a constant stream of conversation, oh, this is a clover. Oh, this is a dandelion. Oh, look at these ants. Oh, 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 oh. The child totally checks out. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you still need to pay attention enough that you need know when to drop a seed of, uh, a seed of truth into the open soul of the child. Yeah. There's the opportunity to train the seeing eye and the hearing ear. And an hour or two should be spent in vigorous play. And last and truly least. So all of these other things are more important that they they be let alone that they have vigorous play that they perch up in a tree and nestle in the heather and last and least the lesson or two yeah but not storybooks which is something i find interesting here she you know we talked we've talked about living books and reading living books and and here she goes you're outside don't read storybooks which is interesting to me and i think I think there's a place for storybooks, even within Charlotte Mason, outside after this has happened, after you've explored, after you've run vigorously. But the point in this is, you know, don't just take them outside and bring your storybook to entertain them. Right. She says, in the first place, it's not the business to entertain the little people. So... You're not just going outside because it's a change of scenery to read the book in. You're going outside to go outside and do outside things. Mm-hmm. She says, who she, she goes on, she says, who thinks to amuse children with tale or talk at a circus? It isn't you're at a circus. Why would you need to read a book about a circus while you're at the circus? Exactly. Go do the circus. So while you're outside. Why do you need to entertain the children? You're outside. Yeah. I guess circus is a little outdated now. If you're at an amusement <laughs> park, why do you need to read a book to the children? Mm-hmm. You're at an amusement park. Go be amused or something. I don't know. What do you do at an amusement park? Roller coasters. That With tiny children. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> they have tiny roller coasters. <laughs> I think. I don't know. We have not taken our children to an amusement park. It costs money. Well, that too. And they haven't been close by. And they're not tall enough. So the first thing that the wise mother does is sends them off to let out their spirits in a wild scamper. With cry, hello, and hullabaloo, and any extravagance that comes into their young heads. And if any of our children call out hullabaloo as they run off... I might chase them down and ask them what the heck is wrong with them. <laughs> I'm going to tell them to do that. Hullabaloo! <laughs> Huzzah and hullabaloo! We're outside now! <laughs> Watch me scamper! <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So the 
the young ones, there's no distinction between big and little, and the latter love to follow in the wake of their elders, and lessons and play to pick up and accord and do according to their little might. That's very true. And as for the baby, he's in bliss, kicks and crawls and clutches the grass, laughs soft baby laughter, and takes in his little knowledge of shapes or properties in his own wonderful fashion. Clothed, I liked this part, clothed in a woolen gown, long and loose. Which is hilarious because she just says he's divested of his garments. So is he naked or is he in a woolen gown? Or is it just the jackets that are gone? We're all naked under our clothes. Thank you. So next Divested of garments. (laughs) We are not all divested of garments. Under our clothes we're divested. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Anyways, but it also says... You know, she's got clothes for the baby that he can get muddy because it's none the worse for the wear. Yeah. Well, and that's that is something that we do is when when there's a chance that the children are going to get wet or muddy or dirty, we bring along at least one extra change of clothes. Yes. If not two. If only because that means on the ride home they can be dry and clean. Or at least not sitting in wet seats. Yep. So that that is something that we've done is we we bring along a change of clothes. So I went I was going to meet up with a group and they were going to meet at 11. So we got there early. We got there maybe around 9. I went out with the kids, did a hike. Got caught in a torrential downpour. <laughs> That's right. It was so bad. <laughs> and by the time that everyone got there and we're ready to go, you know, the storm has passed. We're in the west. Storms come and go. But I had I forgotten a towel, but I had changed of clothes for the kids and they were all in. I borrowed a towel. They all changed and we went home and had hot chocolate and did not do the group activity <laughs> because we had already had our adventure for the day. <laughs> but yes, we bring a change of clothes. It, it's important. So the next section she jumps into here is sightseeing. So after the children have run off and said hollabaloo, by... <laughs> By and by, the others come back to their mother, and while wits are fresh and eyes keen, she sends them off on an exploring expedition. It might even be an expedition to the North Pole. Who can see the most and Only tell the most? Only if you're in the Hundred Acre Wood. Who can see the most and tell the most about yonder hillock or brook, hedge or copse? Definitely not corpse. <laughs> this is an exercise that delights but if children. You're in the graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I read it, I definitely read corpse there. And I continued on. This is an exercise that corpse? It, this is, it delights children? <laughs> Reminds me of a Family Guy episode where the they go in, in uh, witness protection for some reason and they end up deep in the South. Oh, no. And the oldest boy makes friends with another kid. And they're having fun and playing. And look, one kid's like, hey, you want to go poke the dead guy? (laughs) (laughs) So they go to a pond where there's a bloated corpse that's just on the side. And they grab sticks and they poke the bloated corpse with sticks. Oh. (laughs) Oh. So, yeah, uh, let's see. Who can see the most and tell the most about yonder hillock or brook hedge or corpse? This is an exercise that delights children. And may be endlessly varied, carried on in the spirit of a game, and yet with the exactness and carefulness of a lesson. 
So, I... Talking about specifics, how to see, what to observe, and how to um, accurately describe the things that you see and what to think about. Yes. And exactness. In the one of the multitude of examples she gives here, she says, I think there's a million apples, all ripe and rosy. A million, Fanny? Well, a great many, Mother. I don't know how many. But she gets a complete description, a complete accurate description as she goes. Right. And with older children, you could start guesstimating how many apples. Mm-hmm. Like, well, let's count some on one tree and then guess how many there are on this tree. And now we can extrapolate. The mother is doing <laughs> invaluable work, even though this is all play to the children. She is training their powers of observation and expression, increasing the, their vocabulary and their range of ideas by giving them the name and the uses of an object at just the right moment. When they ask, what is it? What is it for? And training her children in truthful habits by making them careful to see the fact and to state it exactly without omission or exaggeration. So we're growing little Sherlock Holmeses, is what we're saying here. That yep. We want them to see details. We want them to look at at uh, exact. In, we want them to look in exactness, and then remember those details and facts and things, and be able to recount them and tell a story about them. Yeah. Well, I, I like this one. The little bungler who fails to make it clear whether he's describing an elm or a beach, which I don't know the difference. <laughs> You're a bungler. I am. <laughs> um, so am I. Sorry. Ta- tangent. Somewhere later, she says something along the lines of anyone who's going to have any dealings with children should acquaint themselves to the basic knowledge of the outdoor life. Be it plant names, tree names. So when we were at camp, at a we we worked at a boys' camp in Asheville, North Carolina, for a couple of years, and the camp director and a couple of the other guys there were awesome at that. And you'd go yeah. out on a walk, especially the director Dan Davis. You'd go out on a walk with him, and he could get a little overwhelming at times. He was a large personality. Is a large personality. He, he is, but. If you were mentally able to keep up with him, it was a lot of fun because <laughs> he could tell you about every tree and every plant and every blade of grass out there and what it is and why it is and what color it is and all of those things. It was so much fun. So I would say that uh, his example was a little over the top, but. But to the son- child who is asking those questions, what is that tree? Right. He'd, Why is that different? He would be the person who would be able to say those things. Oh, well, that's an elm. And it's different from the others because of these things. Mm-hmm. And its bark does this. And look, you can do this with it. Mm-hmm. And then stand back and kind of let the child do what he's doing. And then the child turns around and goes, but what about this? And and you feed that little tidbit of knowledge right. at exactly the right moment. Um, But back to this example, if... The child can't explain uh, closely enough what they're describing, then you don't go to see what they're talking about. (laughs) And I do that with our kids, even just in the house. They're like, Mom, Mom, come look at this thing. What is it? What is it? 
oh, it's this this thing over here. It's really cool. Well, what is it? And they, I make them tell me more mm-hmm. about it before I'll go see it. And that's because of this. You do. And it is funny because they'll do that. And well, well, what is it? Well, it's it's tall and yellow and a couple other things. are Okay, let's go look at it. And then you go from, well, I don't know. What is it? To very excited. It's it's funny. It makes me (laughs) laugh when I see it. (laughs) So I do that as as much as I can. So then she talks about memory and being able to be discriminant about the features of the landscape that you have. And and she says, you know, most people have blurred, distorted, incomplete childish recollections. She says, you know, it's not because that they, they were forgotten. It's because they were never fully seen. So taking that perception, that, that the ability and the perception that you're training... And having them fully see a scene, which goes directly into what she's talking about, picture painting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The taking of mental photographs. I was going to say mental imaging is is probably a more apt description of what she talks about. And, and, and I, I don't know how much of this I want to read because I basically have half of the next paragraph highlighted. She says, so exceedingly delightful is this faculty of taking mental photographs, exact images of the beauties of nature. We go about the world for the refreshment of seeing that it is worthwhile to exercise children in another way towards this end, bearing in mind that they may, mm, bearing in mind, however, that they see the near and the minute, but can only be made with an effort to look at the wide and the distant. Get the children to look, wow, reading is hard. Get the children to look well at some patch of landscape and then to shut their eyes and call up the picture before them. If any bit of it is blurred, they had better look again. When they have a perfect image before their eyes, let them say what they see. Sounds intense. Yeah. It's not something I've been trained up to do. No. Or tried to do. And and she goes on to say it is fatiguing. It is a strain on the attention and should only be employed now and then, but it's worth the while to get the children into the habit of doing it. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those things that if you do it every now and again, slowly but surely over the course of the child's education, mm-hmm. you, you will grow that, that habit and that ability to see and take mental images or mental snapshots. Mm-hmm. I was going to say screenshot, but that's (laughs) not quite right. The pleasurable act of seeing fully and in detail is likely to be repeated unconsciously until it becomes a habit by the child who is required now and then to reproduce what he sees. And it helps when, excuse me, it helps when the mother has two or three scenes in her own mind that she can close her eyes and tell to the children. Again, leading by example. Yeah. Well, cuz you get to you get to describe things to the child and the child goes, "Whoa, isn't that cool?" Mhm. It would be difficult to overrate this habit of seeing and storing as a means of after solace and refreshment. And we have a quote. Have you heard this one before? By the way you're saying that, I'm guessing my answer is yes. 
<laughs> the breathing balm, the silence and the calm of mute insensate things. We talked about it in chapter 24 of volume two, part two with Wither. It is by uh, Wordsworth. Oh, okay. Ooh, is this the one with the very descriptive name of the poem? Oh, what was that poem? No, breathing, breathing Balm is Three Years She Grew. Okay. And it is in Volume 2, Chapter 24, which was Episode 53. And Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 6, we talked about it yesterday. Um, yesterday? Last episode. Okay. <laughs> episode 61. <laughs> episode number, the one before this. Wordsworth was... The was Britain's poet laureate from eight, uh, 1843 until his death in 1850. So, but you are correct. Um, though absent long, these forms of beauty have not to been to me as a landscape to a blind man's eye. But often lonely moms and mid the din of towns and cities, I have owed to them in hours of weariness and sensation sweet felt in the blood and felt along the heart and passing even into my pure mind with tranquil rest tranquil restoration that is lines composed a few miles above Tenterd abbey on revisiting the banks of the y during a tour july 13 1798 man i wonder where he wrote that or and when, when. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's my favorite that's my favorite title if you so listeners if any of you are poets i i hope that you that you title your poems like that. I think it's great. It's it's the best name. We also talked about that in chapter 18, Sensations and Feelings, which was episode 41. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we I said the exact same thing then. <clears throat> so. So it's it's it 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 is a thing that happens when you have a specifically a memory of a tranquil outdoor place. Yeah. To be able to draw that to your memory when you're sitting at your desk in a cubicle and can't get outside. Mm -hmm. You can close your eyes and see it and be refreshed as if you were there. Yeah. And I remember we talked about the actual physical, the physical impl implications of that, that you can store memories of feelings and feel those feelings again, which makes me think you can also get the 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 chemical boost or bump dopamine Dopa or... yeah, you can get the dopamine hit from experiencing that thing again by just remembering it. I know we talked about that at some point during volume two, and I don't remember when but but yeah it. I, I see it as being hugely valuable. I mean, we look at pictures and pictures are neat and they're fun and, and it's great to have pictures on your wall. I have a lot of pictures on my phone, but it's something else to just be able to close your eyes and, and experience and see things mm -hmm. and remember them. Mm -hmm. So. One last warning. You closed your book. She's not done yet. Oh, you don't have to open it. She says, be, mother must be, must beware how she spoils the simplicity, the objective character of the child's enjoyment, 
by treating his little descriptions as feats of cleverness to be repeated to his father or to visitors. Right. To to treat what he's saying as just, oh, that's awesome. Now, you know, show off. Tell it to tell it to somebody else also. Dance, monkey. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's to say nothing to nobody in his presence at any rate. So that it's not just a trick. It's not just right. a, a a thing to be shown off. Because you're not creating it for other people. You're creating it for the child. You're in, trying to instill this in the child for their benefit. Right. Not to show off to someone else. And, and not even to father. Right. Which I, I would love for you to be experiencing everything that I get to experience of the fun things. <laughs> the bad things too, but that's for a different reason. <laughs> but but of these <laughs> but of these uh aha moments, these these times of of uh, oh my goodness, I get it. Right. Which you can't recreate and you can't duplicate. So, yeah. But to not to force them to 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 say that again for somebody else. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps up what we're talking about today. It does. Although I want to back up just a little bit. I have some notes here because back to page 50, I'm sorry, 45, talking about the storybooks. Let us suppose mother and child children arrive at some breezy open wherein it seemeth always afternoon. So that's actually in quotes. So I was like, where is that? So I looked it up oh. and it was from... Alfred Lord Tennyson, who was the poet laureate before uh, Wordsworth. And it was from a poetry collection inspired by a trip to Spain. He was talking about a place where it seems always afternoon. So I was like, okay. So if it seems always afternoon, it's from the Lotus Eaters. If it seems always afternoon and he was inspired by a trip to Spain, what was the weather like? Because if they're going outside for four to six hours, Spain, in January, so when it's cold, the low is 41 and the high is 53 degrees Fahrenheit. So not... That's not bad. It's Chilly, not cold. Not cold. Not hot. August is about low of 59 to high of 79 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow, doesn't that sound nice? So that and that's in August, you know, when it's the heat of the summer. The hottest time of the year. So take going outside all the time, four to six hours a day with a massive dose of salt, because if the high is only forty nine or the high is only fifty nine almost all year round. Well and then sure. If, and then if the low is only in the forties. Yeah. Like the lowest low is the forties. <laughs> all right. You can easily so, eat a wrap in that in that temperature. So uh, uh, the the lotus eaters, wherein it seemed only, always afternoon, the ideal is this very moderate temperature. Mm. So I don't. Know, I I looked that up and I forgot to mention it when we were back there. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah. Well, yeah. So next time we'll we'll keep talking about. What to do outside with your children. Uh, we're going to do the next two chapters, flowers and trees and living creatures. Cool.
I guess that's it. Thanks for listening. And for those of you who are waiting for John's other podcast, there has oh. been some slight hiccups. Oh, yeah. I'm working on so, it. So, yeah. Working on it. It's going to happen. It, it's. I'm still super excited about it. It just died. It hasn't happened yet. Going Honestly, going from recording one discussion every other week to recording a discussion every week has has uh it it's changed enough of my of of my time commitment for this your weekly rhythm yeah my weekly rhythm it's thrown that off enough that i i need to find that rhythm again yeah so i don't know what we can do to solve that but we'll figure something out and we'll get there yep that show's going to happen if only because i want to review kids movies because that means i get to watch them and then talk about them and I enjoy that. <laughs> yep. So I just wanted to throw that out there because you've mentioned it. I have. I have. It's something that, like I said, I still am super excited about it. But but it's not going to happen for, for at least a bit. Because I, I need to get more ducks in rows. At least they're not kittens and you're not hurting cats. That's true. But... They also might be chickens, and chickens run very fast. But you just said ducks, and ducks walk in a row. That well, they're foul. You're foul. You're foul too. <laughs> and right. on that note, yeah, I, I think I think we've I think we've run out of intelligent ideas. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> That should be the tagline. I think we've run out of intelligent ideas. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Join the conversation with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter.